This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's Morning Show, now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in our friend from the Canadian press, Michelle McQuig. Michelle is the weekend news editor at CP. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. So, Michelle, let's go all the way back to Friday when the federal government announced a temporary handgun import ban. I think that's kind of self-explanatory, Michelle, but take me a bit deeper. What does this mean precisely? It is, but it's also kind of a, it is a bit of a surprise move. So, yeah, it, it bears unpacking a little bit. So, as I'm sure most of the listeners know, uh, there has been an effort to get some gun control legislation on the books, and one of that measures included in there would be a ban of importing handguns. That bill has not yet passed. It did not pass before the summer. It's going to, debate will resume whenever the House resumes. So this is a bit of a workaround uh, that Melanie Jolie and Marco Mendicino, the uh, Foreign Affairs Minister and the Immigration Minister, respectively, came up with. What's going to happen is Melanie Jolie said that she has the authority to decide what can come in and out of the country. So what they've done together is come up with uh, a measure that would start limiting gun, excuse me, handgun imports. It would sort of mirror the legislation and they would do that through a regulatory measure. That measure is not coming into place for two weeks. And until it does, and until that allows for certain handguns to come in under the terms of the rules that they've set out, there's a complete freeze. So as of right now, there will be no more handguns imported into Canada, and they're hoping to keep this measure in place until there is a formal law on the books. I think you answered it right there, Michelle. But yeah, walk me through the timeline one more time. Give me a reminder on the implementation and just how temporary temporary is. Well, a lot of that is contingent on how long it takes for a law to pass. Uh, We all know that debating in the House of Commons and then it has to go to the Senate. There's a whole process there. So I think we're talking at least a few months. But essentially... There's a freeze on gun handgun imports as of now. That's in effect for two weeks until the regulatory measure takes effect. At that point, certain handguns will be allowed. There's you know, all kinds of nitty-gritty to get into there. Um, but effectively, the handgun ban, the import on a handgun ban, is, uh, is effectively starting to take shape right now. Mm. It's definitely an interesting one and definitely that workaround. I think, again, because it was sort of a Friday news dump, a lot of reaction hasn't fully poured in yet. I think over the course of the next day or two, there's going to be some people at some barbecues uh, around the country, some politicians at barbecues voicing their concerns about the way in which this was implemented. We've already had a little bit of reaction. Uh, The Conservatives, uh, very predictable in many senses, and that the NDP is saying that they should have done this kind of thing sooner. The impetus for this was uh, the piece of context is that when they announced plans for a a ban on importing handguns, the imports began to really spike. Uh, There was a a a period of a few months there when imports were up 52% from Mm -hmm. where they were the year Mm -hmm. before. Uh, So the NDP is saying, well, the government should have anticipated this and acted sooner. The Conservatives are saying, you're not targeting the right things. You should be going after illegal handguns. Imported handguns are not the source of gun crime. Um, But uh, Police Souviens, which is a group of uh, advocates largely based on the École Polytechnique 
shooting, is very happy with this. Uh, and a lot of gun control advocates are saying this is a really effective maneuver that will start to limit the number of imported handguns here. Mm. Michelle, let's go over to British Columbia, where a jury found a Dutchman, Aidan Coben, accused of harassing British Columbian teen Amanda Todd via online threats, guilty of all charges he faced in connection with the case. Michelle, I know this story is a difficult one, but what were some of the specifics of this case? It is a very difficult one. Uh, this was a case of a, a girl, a teenage girl from Port Coquitlam. She began being harassed by an online tormentor when she was about 12 years old. This went on for quite some time. Aidan Coban, we can now disclose, uh, had a long history of online harassment against teenage girls and gay men, primarily. He's a Dutch national, so this was all happening in the Netherlands. Uh, he has been convicted of numerous similar cases in the Netherlands, but he was extradited here to face charges in the Amanda Todd case. Amanda Todd, after undergoing years of this kind of harassment, ultimately died by suicide when she was 15. And she posted a video outlining her experience. And this is a this is why her name has a lot of recognition now in this country, because she's become really synonymous with an issue. And the video she posted and her sharing of her experience has been widely credited with really sort of raising the profile of this issue and then moving discussions of it into the mainstream. So um, he was extradited here to face charges in relation to her case. Now, he's not accused of causing her death. There were no charges related to that. It was all to do with the online harassment that she suffered. So he was charged with things like harassment and, and, excuse me, extortion and uh, making and distributing child pornography because it was a sextortion case. Uh, so those were the five charges he was facing. There was a nine-week trial. Uh, jury went out on Friday, and we really weren't sure how long it was going to take. But they came back with their verdict about a day later. And like you said, guilty on all charges. What kind of reaction has come in since the verdict? Uh, this is being hailed as justice in a lot of ways. Um, Hina Alam, my coworker who covered the uh, the verdict on Saturday, Got an interview with Carol Todd, who was Amanda Todd's mother. She's become a, a very vocal advocate, not only for her daughter's memory, but for the issue that her daughter's now become synonymous with in a lot of ways. Uh, so she feels that this offers a lot of closure. There's a lot of relief and, and a sense that justice was served by this mm. verdict. Michelle, let's go from the very serious to the somewhat surreal. We'll finish with quite the back and forth in Alberta about the future of Athabasca University. Oh, boy. Uh, yes. I, have to con- I have to confess, Michelle, this one wasn't on my radar. I read a couple stories on the weekend, and now I'm deeply fascinated. But it's, what's, an it, issue, what's it, an issue here with Athabasca University? It is one of those stories. Gotta get, I, I, I Similarly, I was editing a story we had on the weekend from my colleague Dean Bennett out in Edmonton. The back and forth here essentially is that the Alberta government wants more staff at Athabasca University to be based in Athabasca, even though it's an online university. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it. Maybe some of you take courses there. It's 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 a strictly online school that offers courses that people can take all across the country. And uh, it was initially created to sort of spur some rural development. The province is saying that we need to have more people living back in Athabasca to help maintain that rural development and, and, and help support the town. The town itself has been pushing for some of this. And the school is saying, uh, that's not viable. That's going to undercut what we do. You can't be asking 500 of our employees at the most to relocate just to try and further this initiative. They call the government's uh, requests self-defeating. 
So it sounds like just a back and forth kind of fight, but there are pretty high stakes here. The government is, is putting its foot down and saying, if you don't do this, if you don't start to come up with a plan to make this happening, we're going to withdraw your funding, which is about $3.4 million. That represents a quarter of their revenue, basically. And the school has come right out and said, if that happens, if we lose this government funding, we're done. We can't do this anymore. Yeah, I, I, as I was reading more about Athabasca University, 40,000 active students right now for Athabasca University. So uh, you just answered it there. But if, if, this does, if, if they can't figure out a deal here, we're talking about 40,000 students potentially being left in the lurch. Yeah, exactly. And it's... And of course, there's the welfare of the town itself uh, in place. So there's the, the stakes are very, very high for this. And uh, what's <laughs> what makes this story a little more colorful, I think, is the fact that uh, no parties on either side of the table are pulling their punches, and there's there are some pretty scrappy comments <laughs> coming back and forth. Uh, for instance, the the president of Athabasca University, um, Peter Scott has been pushing back on the government, and the government has been saying that you know this this threat we have to withdraw our funding and does not constitute an ultimatum. And Peter Scott said to my colleague, I have to look up what an ultimatum means in the dictionary. Like it's, <laughs> it's that kind of story, right? They're, they're, uh, no one's trying to play nice here. And I, I suspect it's because the stakes are so high. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Michelle, thank you for running through these stories with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great day. You've been listening to Now with Dave Brown. Hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.